Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. For the first time since 2016, Manchester City beat Chelsea away from home and are now level on points with the defending champions. Was Friday night the moment they took control of the title race? Speaking of control, Man United didn't have any. On Saturday, in front of a record WSL crowd at the Emirates, we reflect on that landmark in a huge moment for women's football and ask where the result leaves Mark Skinner and United. Plus, Everton get a crucial win at the bottom and Chelsea close in on their new manager. Before we get stuck in, I mean, there were so many games. We had Friday, we had Saturday, we had Sunday. It was a, a platter, a plethora of games this weekend. Um, I have never heard it pronounced like that. What? Plethora? plethora. <laughs> Sorry. A plethora. A plethora. Like, yes. A thesaurus. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, and it, yes, there were many games, many things to choose from. You're going to ask me my moment of the week, Chloe, I have you? indeed. Go on. Um, this is quite a random one and needs a bit of description because oh, there are so many great things I could have picked and I haven't. I've gone with mm. um, right near the end of the game, the Arsenal-Manchester United game and Lucia Garcia uh, was like in on goal, who I thought played really well actually for Manchester United. She did. Um and there was a moment where Steph Catley recognised that she wasn't going to get there in time. Mm-hmm. And um, there's only so much you can do. Maybe she had visions of that that goal um, that they conceded against Manchester City. And, you know, what she decided to do was, do you remember that craze? I think it was called the silly salmon. You know, when people just like put their arms down by their sides and like and leap like a salmon and yeah, jump yeah. like into a pool or whatever. <laughs> just gave me visions of that because she just decided to go for the ball with her head when the ball was kind of around in and around Garcia's waist and she just kind of launched herself at Garcia's waist to where the ball was and ended up in a heap on the floor and yeah Steph I hope you're okay um, because she did require some treatment but I just it was just really funny and it just really stood out this weekend for me well I think that was kind of a moment that maybe encapsulated the kind of dynamic and ethos that Arsenal had it was like throw your body on the line I don't care if it's your head I don't care which way you do it I don't care if you're silly salmon it yeah and I did feel sorry for them actually not getting a clean sheet because to be honest quite frankly they deserved it and that hurts me to say that hurts me to say um Go on, what's yours? Was it I've, as funny as mine or would you go for something actually serious? So it was a very wild weekend. Uh, so first off, I want to do, I want to pay a little bit of homage to Chris Porus of the Proud Lily Whites. They celebrated their 10-year anniversary. The Spurs Stadium, I went to the event on Tuesday, which was kind of like a panel of the panel they had 10 years ago and where they are and what they've done for the LGBTQ plus community in football. It was absolutely amazing. The Spurs Stadium was lit up with the rainbow colours. We went out that. to the pitch. Like, it was absolutely gorgeous, really gorgeous night. So congratulations to the Proud Lily Whites and Chris because they do amazing work Love in the Chris. LGBTQ plus space. Um, also tonight, I am going over to Seth London uh, to celebrate Football Beyond Borders 10-year anniversary. Friend of the pod, Salon, um, is going to be there. Obviously, like, explain all the incredible work they've done, so I'm looking forward to that. But that kind of leads me into my next point. Because I was going to say, this doesn't feel like Moms of the Weekend. This feels like you bragging about all the cool events you get invited to. I, I'm sorry that I'm in high demand. <laughs> However, it does lead in quite nicely uh, to the fact that I saw Salon at the game. We went to the Victoria Tavern where everyone seems to gather after the game. It's a gorgeous little pub next to the Emirates. Who was in there? 
I was on a pub table with the Angel City investors, who are these incredible group of women who had come over from the US to kind of like go and experience a game. And we were just sitting around a table. So I was having a pint with some of the uh, Angel City investors. This really is just you bragging right now, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Forget the football. What football? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And mine was the silly salmon. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, we know the calibre of your moments of the weekend. And we now, we'll try hitting that next weekend. I don't get invited to things, Chloe. Oh, I mean, you're going to Marbella this weekend. What's Nobody invited me, Chloe. I, I chose that. Well, I wasn't invited. Okay. I feel better now. I, I thank you. Well, all right. Let's jump in. Okay. Have Man City taken control of the title race? Their 1-0 win over Chelsea at Kings Meadow, making that horrendous journey down from Manchester on a very cold Friday night. Again. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've been doing the miles. I mean, oh my God, the Spurs, miles. Arsenal, Chelsea. But also getting the points. And that bus back is going to have been full of celebrations. I used to love an away game where you picked up the points, you could go home, you could have your little meal on the bus and know that you probably have Saturday and Sunday off as well. Do you not reckon some of them stayed in London? Maybe. maybe. Uh, well, they probably came and saw the game. Maybe the Saturday game. Maybe they all went out on Sunday. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, well, I think they all needed it. It's yeah. a big weekend for all of Deserved them. You know, you've got to release that pressure. It was their first win at Kingsmeadow in eight years. Wow. The last time Chelsea lost at Kingsmeadow was in February 2021. Isn't it 33 games in all competitions? That's wild. Three years ago. And it was against Brighton, Brighton. which is random as hell. But but also Brighton broke their previous... They'd had like a 30-something game unbeaten record and it was Brighton that broke it. And then Chelsea were like, cool, we'll just do it again for another 33 games. No bother. We've got Emma Hayes at the helm. We can do that again. Not to worry. Um, Yeah, Bonnie Shaw got her 14th goal of the season with a very clinical finish. She is absolutely still well embedded at the top of the WSL goal scorer chart, two above Lauren James. Um, And what a goal it was. Do you know what? There's a there was another moment of the weekend that involves Bonnie Shaw and, and it wasn't her goal. It was at the it was 80 something minute. I can't, you know, Chelsea were absolutely banging on the door um towards the end. And the ball popped out and it was Johanna Wright and Canarid going for it. And Bunny Shaw kind of came out of nowhere and the two of them were chasing the ball and Bunny Shaw was like physically holding her. Like she was absolutely fighting as hard as she would fight to get a goal mm-hmm. for possession of that ball and really like ran uh, Johanna Wright and Canarid out of the box with the ball. And I just, there was a moment there where I just thought like it just shows the defensive capabilities she offers as well. Not just the goals she's scoring, but like, it was that bodies on the line and how, you know, we spoke to Demi Stokes about how important clean sheets are mm-hmm. to them. Um, and you could see that from absolutely everybody where she was like, I am not letting her get possession of this ball. Um, but no, you're right. The goal was superb, uh, clinical as ever. Um, and it all kind of came through the middle for Manchester yep. City where, where I think they dominated, particularly in the first half. I think Jess Park has been incredible. She stepped into that role um, in Jill Ward's absence. Obviously, we're used to seeing her playing out on the wing, but she had such a mature performance in arguably their biggest game of the season. And she was excellent. She was a fantastic playmaker. I mean, she was retrieving the ball. She was getting the ball back. She was playing the ball out wide. She was a big part of why Bonnie Shaw was able to then score that goal. I mean, the press that she was putting on Cuthbert and everyone was saying, yeah, it's a silly mistake from Cuthbert. And we were kind of talking about this before the pod started. And actually, it it came down to the fact that Park was pressing so high and so intensely. And I don't think Chelsea were kind of 
it's very rare that we see Chelsea under that level of press for such a sustained period of time. And like the the composed finish from Bonnie Shaw, I mean, that wasn't an easy finish. Hannah Hannah Hampton had come out. She'd made the the angles incredibly small. Like she'd smothered. She went to the, you know, she her arms were outstretched, her legs were outstretched, and just that cheeky little flick off the boot, like outside of the boot, I thought was absolutely beautiful. But yeah, I've got to say, I mean, Jess Park for such a young head. I mean, she's definitely going to be one to watch in the England camp in the in, what in the next couple of next couple of weeks. Yeah, and you're going out there to see her absolutely. And the rest of them obviously oh, but, just but, Jess yeah yeah don't care about anybody else um, I mean let's talk about some of the controversial elements of the game because we were talking about this again Alex Greenwood I felt that it was a penalty I yeah. felt that the game could have easily I think Man City deserved to win the game but I think on balance Man City were very lucky not to get a penalty awarded against them for the Alex Greenwood tackle on Myra Ramirez because to me it didn't look like she got the ball again but like did you see a different angle or do, do you feel like that's, fairly, I, that's fair? I think that's fair. <clears throat> I think that was a penalty. Um, I think Greenwood got lucky. I don't think she she got a touch on it. Um, you know, we've talked about this before though in other games where you can't kind of rely on one decision mm-hmm. to say that that's why you lost or that's why you didn't get points. But you can absolutely be aggrieved that you didn't get that penalty, especially when it was. It was in the first half. Man City were dominating the first half especially. Yep. Um, so it really could have swung things or, or calmed things down a little bit for Chelsea and, and maybe given them a little bit of the boost that they needed. But um, yeah, I think it was a pen. I loved it. The fact that Alex Greenwood, I think, probably had a heart fall out of a bum at that moment thinking, <laughs> oh God, I, I've, I potentially have given away Shit. some very important points here. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of like getting up and being a bit remorseful about it, you know, you know, you know, we see like players go over, you know, offer a hand, like make it look to the ref that you're a little bit like, oh, that, oh, it's a bit of a bit of a shit thing that I did. And it's just shouted at Ramirez. He was like on the floor. Ramirez didn't really like. Didn't of course she was. She wasn't going to open and be like, sorry. She's she was, like, I didn't touch her. What are you talking about? <laughs> but Ramirez was so calm about it. She didn't. I think had Ramirez protested a little bit more, yeah. potentially it would have been given, but it kind of wasn't I think and fair play to Ramirez for being such a sports <laughs> woman about it but I think welcome to the WSL I think sometimes when you do kind of you know give a bit of grief or give a you know ref like what like I think that's gonna help yeah I think that's sort of the tactical wise that I think maybe we'll start to see more when she's uh when her English gets better she'll know exactly what to say to the ref yeah like, 100%, 100%. Yeah. we'll start seeing sort of Katie McCabe-esque type oh, that's dramatics not. going on you don't need that when you kind of think about Chelsea and their attacking line, I mean, it, I don't think they had a bad game. I just think Man City were dominant, but they didn't have, they didn't create that many chances. They looked a bit lost and that was quite a weird thing to see. I mean, Emma Hayes said the disappointing thing from us was our final third play, but I don't think they were, they did have a couple of chances. I mean, but they just weren't good enough and clinical enough, which is something we don't see from Chelsea very often. I think they'll be frustrated across the 90 minutes I think that'll be frustrating for them because I don't really think they were in it as much as they would have expected to be in the first half particularly they did have 17 shots six of them were on target I feel like most of them came in the final 10 minutes no um, that's an exaggeration but there was definitely a shift in the second half Chelsea were definitely better in the second half yeah for sure Um, I also felt a bit nervous for Manchester City because I felt like Gareth Taylor had decided a bit too early to sit back and try and defend the 1-0 lead. You can't do that with 1-0. I just felt like it was a little bit risky and he made a few changes 
um, in the second half that kind of to make it a little bit, you know, taking Kelly off and bringing on Angledal, mm-hmm. um, taking off Coombs and bringing on Stokes. I mean, that that was a bit later in the game, but the Angledal one was 79 minutes and I just felt like, oof, riding out 10 minutes of Chelsea kind of throwing everything but the kitchen sink at you mm-hmm. felt a little bit risky, but then equally I've seen people on Twitter saying he didn't do it soon enough. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can see it both ways, <clears throat> but I just felt like a team like Chelsea trying to protect a 1-0 lead against a team like Chelsea is a risky business. But is it that risky when you've got someone like Kiara Keaton in Bloody goal? hell, that save she made from Pankovic, <laughs> that double save. I just, I thought it was in. I was convinced that it was in. I was like, it's so close to her. Like, she's made the first save, cool. But I was like, it's, I was convinced the second one was going to be like a cheeky little toe poke in. But God love her. anybody writing during that. In the, oh God. Could you imagine the press box being like, right, pretty much got my whole, you know, my whole... Peace done. Just Manchester City. I'm going to file on my 90. They've blown the title race wide open. And then, could you imagine? They, <laughs> you'd be like, rewrite in the final Delete. 90 seconds. <laughs> you'd be absolutely raging. But she had another fantastic performance. I mean, off the back of, you know, the, the performances that she had last weekend, you just think she's got, she's such a commanding presence now. And I think you can kind of see her growing in confidence. And it's not even just like the, the incredible saves that she's doing, but it's that she's making the simple stuff look really easy. Like coming out to claim the ball, her communication is key. Like even just the simple sort of like takes. I mean, she's, I, I, honestly, I think she's one, well, I don't, I'm not saying she's one to watch. I mean, she is the goalkeeper of the hour. I mean, her confidence I, is incredible for her age. But what I'm really, really annoyed about is the fact that I've started up this WSL Football Fantasy League and this weekend... You started it, what, now? As, as it was quite early, it was quite late. It was quite late in the quite, day. You're more than halfway through the season, Chloe. Rachel, I'm aware of where we're at. Okay, you have bigger problems than I'm assuming who you did or didn't put in goal. I put in Mary Earps in goal, <laughs> thinking that this was going to be like, moment to shine, cool, like Earps going to pull out of the bag, we're going to get the Arsenal, uh, we're going to destroy Arsenal, it's going to be absolutely fine. They're all going to be like defensive heroes. Um, it... I've got like 28 points, which is like next to nothing in WSL Fantasy Football League. The worst thing was I also fielded Leah Williamson. If you're just going to pick your team based on your favourites, Chloe, this is going to happen. You need to you need to think laterally. I think don't beyond think your picking fades. Mary Earps and Leah Williamson, who, yeah, absolutely iconic. Did you think Leah Williamson was going to play 90 minutes? I thought, I mean, she played 70 the week yeah. before. So I did thought, you think she'd play 90? Well, I thought this was the game that she would. Did you? All right, I mean, we've discussed the WSL fo- Football Fantasy League. Uh, talking of the real... Well, we know you're bottom of that. Should yeah. we talk about the real, the actual league? Yeah, yeah. Right. I think uh, let's talk about how we're... Well, where we see the title race going now. This has kind of blown things back open again. But also, I feel like a, there's an old sense of tradition creeping in that we've got our, our old favourites, the, the top three, back as they were without <laughs> Manchester United coming in and disrupting things. Um, I think that result, the results of the weekend, now make it a very exciting race. I think had Chelsea won this game, I think it would have looked like oh, a hand runaway. On the Chelsea, yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, as much as I appreciate the quality, the calibre, you know, Emma Hayes' last year, I also do want something different. I am a little bit bored of Chelsea winning From everything. a neutral perspective, this weekend is what you would have wanted All to day. keep the race Hot and tasty. Yeah. Um, I had a friend message me after the Chelsea game, Tara. So you do have shout friends. Out, yeah. There you go, you do go to things. Um, shout out Tara. And uh, she asked me, when was the last time that Chelsea lost to both Arsenal and Manchester City in the same season? And I believe, I'm sure our listeners will correct me if I'm go wrong. On. I believe it was 2016. And what happened in 2016? He won the league? Man City. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? That is very interesting. Isn't it? That's a great question. You yeah. have good friends. I do. Um I'm still it's still hard. 
He still heads his Chelsea, but like I just feel like Man City could be it could be there. This is their moment. Oh gosh. Oh, that was unnecessary. This is it. Um, well, when you kind of look at the fact now that Man City and Chelsea now have two losses, I mean, we keep talking about this like, oh, well, you can't lose more than three games without winning the league. I actually think now, and I'm convinced. No, it's you can't lose more than two games. Yeah, you can't lose mm. more than two games. So no one has, there's no margins of error now for Manchester City and Chelsea. But I do think both of them have it in it to lose another game. They both have to face sort of the other Arsenal. top, yeah, the other top three competitors now. So I do feel like actually... This is where we're going to break. This is where we break the mold. Do you know Absolutely. who beat Man City and Chelsea earlier this season? Arsenal. They're the disruptors. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean it's look. It's not going to be easy for Arsenal because they're playing both of them away. But it's just interesting that Manchester City and Chelsea, of the very few games that they have lost, <clears throat> have to play the team again that beat them. Do you know what is going to be a bit of a litmus test? Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the two sides, Chelsea and Man City, go head to head on the 6th of March for the Conti Cup semi final. It's quite exciting. Both of them. Isn't that? Well, like, you know, Chelsea want to win everything, understandably. Everybody wants to win everything. But, like, just getting your hands on silverware. I know we all, people like to laugh at the Conti Cup, but it's a cup. It's a league cup. People mm-hmm. want to win it. It's right? the first silverware. It's, of the year. Im- it's important when you win it. So. You're right. That is a good uh, litmus test. Thank you. I'm just, I'm just very interested to see how we, um, how that, how that plays out. And we've only got what a couple of weeks to wait for that. So, yes. Right, Chelsea. Uh, we have finally got concrete reports last week about who Emma Hayes' successor might be. Uh, the club have reportedly approached Leon's head coach Sonia Bonpastor, and it's expected that Leon will allow her to arrange terms. Uh, Bampasta won the Champions League with Lyon back in 2022 and has two league titles to her name. So she is no, um, you know, she's, she's very familiar with silverware, especially European silverware, which is understandably something that Chelsea uh, has eluded them. Uh, some have questioned whether she's really instilled a distinct style of play at Lyon, but she is known for preferring to work with younger players. Um I've got to say, I mean, despite obviously being the publication that kind of broke the news and massive shout out to Charlotte Harper for doing that, um, I, I didn't see it coming. Is the obvious. It's <laughs> quite funny, aren't you? Being a women's football editor. Until I You're kind sitting of, there reading it going, what? <laughs> Charlotte, you never said. <laughs> Before the conversation with Charlotte that this was kind of like a, you know, a, 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 this is happening, I didn't. Because she hadn't been named yeah, sure. in any of the kind of conversations. She's before. still under contract. I was still like, Casey Stoney, there's still a chance, surely. <laughs> surely, come back. What I've been enjoying is everyone calling her Bompasta. Bompasta. I've enjoyed that. Emma Hayes called her Bompasta as well, um, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. That was she, a great press conference. She did not want to speak about her yeah. in that press conference, which, to be fair to her, she made very clear from her first answer. And then she still got asked about her and it just made her really annoyed. I feel like Emma Hayes in her press conferences this year has been asked everything but what is happening for the game. It's either, where are you going? Oh, you're retired. Not retirement. You're leaving for the US Women's National Team. When are you going out there? What's going to happen to Chelsea? Who's a successor? Who's Sonia? You told us. No one has said, oh, so really, what are your strategies for the week? You did ask a question. I did. On Thursday. But I was going to say, you you told us all in November. You made your bed in November. <laughs> People are going to bloody ask about it. And I agree. I find it annoying because I just wanted to ask about Manchester City. But at the same time, if you announce you're leaving and then you have like a six month leaving time span, people are going to ask you questions. Okay. Well, what do we think about Sonia then joining Chelsea? Because there has been a few kind of questions, even though she has had massive success with Leon, 
So have previous coaches. So had Jean-Luc Vasseur. It's that. And you do, when you look at the squad, when you look at Haran, you look at Reynard, you look at Ellie Carpenter, Aiden Winners. Hagerberg, Selma Basher, Va- Vanderdog. Like, it's kind of a squad that you can't not be successful. It's almost like you can't not because they're just so high quality, high caliber players. So is it the squad or actually is it the managers who are kind of bringing that all together? I've heard varying reports so I've had people saying exactly that yeah um that you know you're you're coming in and you're taking over a, a squad of of winners um so the bar is I mean the bar is high but also so is the standard yeah but then I've equally heard people who really rate her yeah so it's an interesting one um it's an interesting one from Chelsea to kind of go and and try and get someone who's already contracted which I think does say a lot about what Chelsea are willing to do mm. as in they're not just going to sit around and wait for someone who which I never thought they were going to sit around and wait, but you know they're willing to go out and get someone who they think is up to the job. Yeah, this is not an interim signing. This is not a kind of David Moyes, Manchester United, Alex Ferguson type roundabout. This they is want someone a who's serious and long term. Yeah, and and regard you know whether you're someone who thinks she's brilliant or someone who thinks that she's kind of riding on the coattails of her team. She's experienced winning. She's experienced working with winners, playing. She, she and playing. She knows. Um, what it takes to win and, you know, the standards that are set and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you can argue better that than bringing someone in who hasn't won before and maybe it's going to be big and new for them. At least that change for her won't be such a a daunting step if she's stepping into another winning team and Mm -hmm. is expected to carry that on. Well, it looks like it's pretty much almost a done deal. Uh, So we'll be interesting to see when... Pasta's almost served. We got that. That's almost quite clever. Do you know oh, what? I'll, I'll oh. actually, uh, yeah, I was like, do I take the piss? Actually, no, that's actually quite smart. Oh, oh, I, was gonna, I was going to ask Finn to cut that from your reaction. What a great way to end section one. Right, it's the kind of section that I don't want to talk about. Uh, Arsenal thrash Man United 3 1. Uh, right, moving swiftly on. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You meant to spend 15 minutes on that, but that was actually less than 15 no, no, I seconds. I think we've covered it. <laughs> uh, it was a destructive 3 1 win at the Emirates on Saturday. Um, the lovely thing is that there were 60,160 people inside the stadium setting a new WSL record. I mean, the atmosphere was amazing. Uh, I got there quite early. Uh, box life, you know, all that jazz. Uh, huge crowd, but that's become the norm at the Emirates. That's kind of what you come to expect now at these games. And I'll, I will never not forget the atmosphere at the Wolfsburg game because I think, regardless of Unreal. that not beating this record, I don't think it was quite. It was quite it was, close. Yeah. Um, but it was unreal. It was just, it was the day that there was the drums, everything. But like, this is what we, this is, this is the new norm for the Emirates. Um, so yeah, absolutely beautiful day. Um, yeah, there were kind of like a, sm- a few smatterings, I think, of like places where it didn't look like the fans were really there. But we kind of talked about this, that women's football fans seem to kind of enter the stadium at a, a little bit of a later point, you know, five, ten minutes after the game's actually started, which I'm finding a little bit unusual. I've noticed that, but I've noticed it in the past, particularly when it's been around 30,000, 40,000 and perhaps underestimating mm-hmm. When people are going to get to the games, is that we've had situations where there's still hundreds of people trying to get into the stadium, um, and it means they miss kickoff. I I don't think people don't come for kickoff. I just think 
what I've noticed is that people tend to just arrive a little bit later than maybe we would expect. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, the, the looked 95% full. It was great. And it was what was cool was we went quite early as well, um, not because of box life, but because of press life. Um, and yeah, the, the tubes were really, really busy. There was just like nearly everyone on the tube on my carriage was going to the game and was an Arsenal fan yeah. because I could only see there was about 200 of the Barmy Army I could in, hear them they were next to me in a yeah but only if you were sat by the Barmy Army yeah. it was a very small subsection of fans and I appreciate it. it's a very long journey to get down Early here early kick off and I'm, I'm, I'm probably assuming that the majority of Manchester United fans who didn't go to the game are quite happy that they did not make that journey um, Man United let's have a bit of a, a post-mortem if you will of the game um, first five minutes Sat down. Great. Yep. Uh, had my cup of tea. I was thinking, do you know what? This is looking pretty tasty. We're on. We seem to be intense. We seem to be pressing. We seem to be taking the game to Arsenal. And then after five minutes, that was enough. <laughs> it was like, job. We took it to them. They didn't want it. Job done. <laughs> uh, Arsenal seemed to kind of settle into things and kind of start giving back a little bit more. Um, and then... The the first goal came within the first 10 minutes, uh, a, a really badly defended corner. Uh, the ball hit Jay-Z's thighs. Sort of, it was a kind of like um, the pinball machine. You know the ones at the arcades and it was sort of bing, bing, yeah, bing, yeah. bing, bing. Past Mary Earps, Mary Earps. Absolutely fuming, rightly so. Um, I thought it was quite funny that it just came from a shit corner. Like, never mind defending it badly. It wasn't even a very good corner. Like, no. I get wanting to go like from post, but like going at it thigh level isn't, isn't brilliant. So, um, yeah. It, when, on, when I saw the lineup, right, I initially thought, okay, actually, I think Arsenal might be able to do this. They're at the Emirates, they've got a big crowd. They tend to, I know they lost earlier this season there, but they tend to do well. We saw what they did against Chelsea. And then I saw the lineup and I was a little bit, I thought, actually, I think Man United could take this team, could mm -hmm. take this defence. Okay. Um, not because it's a bad defence, but just because when you change the back four, that is often a bit can be a bit nervy and I think Arsenal have had nervy moments in the back as well and they've been swapping out their keepers and all that kind of stuff and with Williamson being out that kind of anchor yeah, I thought maybe this could be really interesting I thought it was really interesting he didn't start Alessio Russo he recognised that Blackstenius is so good at getting between the lines and that's something they've been struggling with in previous matches and I respect that he was willing to bench Russo and put Blackstenius on Blackstenius of course scoring that goal in the reverse fixture yep. um, but in the, and in the first five minutes I thought yeah United could really get at them but they just sat back they didn't press there was no press they didn't put any kind of pressure on Arsenal at all neither team really played their best football I know Man United didn't I don't even think Arsenal really played their best football but it was a good game and there were some really good performances Little I thought was really good um, she was kind of conducting that midfield, conducting that press. And her and Black Stenius were kind of preventing the ball from getting to Zellum, getting out to Zellum. Yeah. And allowing Man United then to build from that midfield area. But And they just couldn't adapt to that, United. Um, they really then struggled to deal with that press. And I thought Arsenal managed to press well for most of the game. Whereas United just didn't seem to do it for any of it, really. Which I just, I couldn't, I couldn't understand what the kind of, tactics the concept was you know and Nikita Paris was working her arse off JC I thought Lucia Garcia was excellent I'm glad she got the goal because she really worked her arse off during the game but equally it could have been five or six like Beth Mead hit the post what twice, twice. Black Stenius had a one up like Mary Earps I don't think Mary Earps necessarily did anything wrong I thought the goals no. that were conceded were very difficult for her to do anything about and then in the second half she made quite a number of like key saves 
So it could have been, you know, McCabe could have got one. Oh, it could Black have been like could have got five, one. six. Yeah. Yeah, easily all so, day. I mean, let's talk about that second goal. I mean, as assists go, I think it was brilliant. Um, if I'm going to do any kind of silver lining to quite, this very dark cloud. I was quite impressed that Lacasse managed to get her head on that and direct it because it came at her like a bullet. Yeah, she never would have seen that. But that she was so still instinctive. managed to direct it onto onto the goal so well. So if you've not seen it, please go and see it because Katie Zellum has sort of like tried to like clear her lines very close to the goal. It's sort of like she's like clipped it upwards to like clear it. She's kind of sliding on the ground, isn't she, as she clears it? And it's like literally dinked up and like hit Chloe Lacasse's head for a very easy header and I think by that point I actually put a story on my Instagram which aged horrendously uh, which was things can it was a, a picture of the scoreline saying 2-0 and it was things could only get better could only get better and then literally narrator they didn't get better <laughs> literally the next story was the penalty um, a very clear penalty very well taken uh, Gemma Evans caught Beth Mead clumsily uh, to give them that third goal but and then you kind of look back over the game and you're like okay well Man United have gifted Arsenal those three goals all pretty much their own doing they yeah just... but it's come from Arsenal like Arsenal were there they were coming down the wings they were putting the pressure on it's you know it's not like United had possession and made a mistake and then Arsenal scored like Arsenal were in there putting the pressure on it was coming from Beth Mead it was coming from Chloe Lacasse down the wings both sides were doing really well so I appreciate that they they were United mistakes but they came from good Arsenal attacking play yeah you can't take that away from Arsenal I don't like think the also, Beth like... Mead penalty yeah she did her trademark kind of coming out to the right kind of dragging it back to her left foot kind of thing which has become quite Beth Mead trademark it's how she hit the bar twice in the second half you know she was on a really good run and as you said clear as day penalty God right. love Gemma Evans she was lucky that she stayed on the pitch to be fair. Rachel, that would have been three goals all created by your own errors and the Arsenal press and then having a player sent off. I think I, I could kind of see a couple of people leaving sort of around like the 75 minute mark. Like I think they were like hidden Man United fans. So they kind of come there not wearing Arsenal shirts but like being very low-key low profile and they they looked devastated. And I I felt that. I absolutely felt that. Um, did, were you surprised by any of the selections that Jonas made? I mean... Dropping Russo uh, and Caitlin Ford uh, in favour of Blastinius and, and Chloe Lacasse. But when you actually look at the performances that they had, like it's very hard to kind of find any fault. I was surprised. I was surprised in that I didn't think he would do it. Mm -hmm. But I I didn't think that it was going to be negatively affect Arsenal necessarily. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was more the defence that I was a little bit worried about and the lack of Leah Williamson. You know, I there have been games that have been crying out for a Blackstenius or a Lacasse and sometimes he's stuck with players that maybe there there needed to be a bit of rotation. So mm -hmm. actually, yeah, it was the right decision. Um, I thought Lacasse was brilliant. I thought she had a really good game. Glad to see her get some minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, feels like a big game player as well, which I think is important. Blackstenius, I know, could have scored a couple of goals, but equally her hold-up play was really, really good. Um, her pressing was really good. So, you know, there were some really good performances from those two. So, yeah, surprised that he'd made those decisions, but at the same time, not like surprised that they did well. Yeah. And I think the other rotation as well, obviously, uh, D'Angelo coming in uh, for Zinsberger. Um, I can absolutely understand. And I think that decision is quite justified, really. I think obviously given off the back of the West Ham Arsenal game, a lot of criticism was obviously levied at uh, Zinsberger for that kind of the punch that kind of 
fell awkwardly. Um, yeah, and D'Angelo, I think I think she looked solid. I think she looked very calm, very collected. First, um, like, minute she had to come out of her box and, and make a tackle on... It's that. Keith. And like, she's a very experienced keeper. Obviously, you know, Canada International, she's just about to go off to the uh, the World, um, sorry, the World Cup, the, the Gold Cup herself. And I just think um, it's quite nice actually to kind of keep that competitiveness amongst keepers. As a goalkeeper though, do you not feel like if you make a mistake, you want to just get back into the next game? Or do you feel like if you get rotated out, does that really knock your confidence? Well, I think there's probably a feeling with Jonas because D'Angelo is going off to the Gold Cup for the next couple of weeks, or essentially maybe even three, four weeks, depending on how Canada get on, that Zinsberger will then drop into the next Not be hardy. game. Uh, <laughs> yes, you could. I saw her at the pitch warming up and I did a double take so I just completely forgot. What are you doing here? What the fuck? What are you doing on the arse? Oh, no, yeah, you're, you're here for a few months, aren't you? Sorry? Um, yeah, I just think, um, but I think it's, I think, in the same way that I suppose you're seeing like Hannah Hampton come in with Chelsea and I do think there's kind of, that we are seeing more goalkeeper rotations you know Cara Keating for, for Roebuck and you know I think people are more willing now to try out this new era of goalkeeper and I'm not saying you know there's not too much, there's too many years between Zinsberg and D'Angelo but I think when you do make a mistake sometimes it might even be something they've discussed and they're like okay well like, give yourself a moment like you can take things really really difficult you might not want the pressure of going from that game straight into like the biggest game of the season in front of this record breaking crowd actually might, what you want to do is maybe just keep a low profile and and um and then come back in for the game after and also the game has developed so much over the last few years and i think we're seeing that a lot more particularly this season in in teams willingness and and desire to play out from the back <clears throat> no matter how under pressure they are and we're seeing goalkeepers then being chosen based on what's what the game demands. In. Yeah, you know, do you need someone who's really good with the long passes, pinpoint passes, you know, <clears throat> able to play over the back? Do you need someone that's really good with their feet that can can play out from the back, that kind of thing? And I think that's also playing a big part in that goalkeeper rotation that we're seeing. Yeah, they are now part of the strategy. It's not just, okay, well, they're, not, they're our number one. They're going to be our number one this entire time. So I actually quite rate that. I think it keeps them competitiveness. I, I, I think it's nice. Um, last season, Man United won this fixture 3-2 to draw level with Arsenal at the top of the table. This time round, they were 3-0 down inside 45 minutes and now they are 10 points off the top of the league. Seven points off of that third Champions League spot. Um, do we think things have gone really badly wrong this season or do we actually just feel that actually there's just a bit of a dip? And I think it kind of calls into question again. We, we keep sort of having this um, debate. You know, Mark Skinner's contract is up in the summer um, and we've kind of said that he should be stuck. They're kind of stuck with him for now. Well, who are you going to get and what is it going to... It's not going to save your season if you get rid of your manager and bring in someone else. But I don't feel like it's... Do you know what I mean? I don't feel like they're in a position where if they brought someone else in and won every game, they're still going to struggle to get up to the top three. Yeah, but I think in a way Skinner is in some respects kind of hamstrung with the kind of, and I know he keeps talking, and I'm not entirely sure that I really like his approach to kind of the post-match stuff where he does seem to blame a lot of it on resources resources, or we don't have the players. I mean, post-match he was saying, look at the bench that Arsenal had today. You look at the experience and where they are in their careers, it's a little bit different, right? We have lots of quality, but the depth is something we want to continue to look at, which I do feel like is a little bit of like throwing shade on your own team but also like you rate your players so highly before the match but then when you lose it's because you don't have the players yeah and you know you've got Mallard Galton Ladd on the bench like these are good players mm -hmm. that are game changers Rachel Williams Rachel Williams is game a game changer. changer but it is a bit frost like it's not like he's playing all of his players in the right positions and playing all the right players at the right time 
and playing them all to the best of their ability and it's still not working. Mm-hmm. Like if he was doing that, then maybe you could say resources, et cetera, et cetera. But given, I think, tactically, is they're, they're being let down and struggling in areas. Mm-hmm. And that's a, an issue as well. It's not just resources. You can't just keep blaming resources. And I, I don't know whether he's reached a ceiling. I don't know. But like, you're not, they're not getting the best out of the squad, the squad that they have, I think. And there is an element of that as well. And, you know, I've seen people touch on the fact that Martin Ho left and has gone to Bran, who are, you know, now in the quarterfinals of the Champions League and all that kind of thing. And perhaps it's exposed Skinner a little bit. Okay. In terms of, you know, tactics wise, I think they struggle to adjust sometimes in games um, and they struggle to maybe make the right decisions in games to change things around, um, which can be a little bit frustrating. I think, you know, Haley Ladd probably would have been more effective in that midfield role. Um, so, yeah, I think you can't just blame resources. No, I think you're completely right. I think there is a kind of strategy issue when you look at kind of how well they were doing last year and how well they're doing this year. You do think, you know, something that they're not getting the squad at full capacity, but there, but then there are moments of brilliance. I mean, you see like, you know, when the ball does go to JC, when it does go to, there are, there are players who can deliver brilliance, but again, there doesn't seem to be that, that same level of support. Like, for for example, I think the Gemma Evans thing, for example, hasn't really had a lot of minutes this season and then gets thrown in at the deep end in one of their biggest games. And that's an example of with the right rotation, and we see it with your Chelsea's and that it's difficult to keep everybody happy, right? But you need to be rotating at the right moments to ensure that when you get to a big game, you know, Hannah Hampton's been getting minutes, right? Then she got yep. put in for Chelsea Man United. A big game, played well. Like, it wasn't like a kind of sudden spur of the moment thing and she's like, oh my God, I'm being put in against United at, at, at Stamford Bridge. And I think there was an element of that for Gemma Evans. Suddenly there was an injury. She gets thrown into this game. She's a little bit out of her depth because she's just not at the level yet because she hasn't been getting enough minutes. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I think there's an element of squad management too. Let's touch briefly on the big games at the bottom. Before Sunday, Everton were on the longest WSL losing streak in their history, having lost four on the bounce. But they beat West Ham 2-0 to move them up to ninth. Uh, What have we made of their season recent form so far? Because it's a bit all over the place. I was really worried about Everton at the beginning of the season. And every week I'm worried about them because of the injuries to the squad because they haven't been able to bring players in but have had players go out you know and I massive respect to the squad because they're doing a bit of a what Arsenal did last season with all these injuries that seemed to really galvanise them Mm -hmm. and that seems to be happening at Everton because you know they're pulling out these results I mean that's not a very good home record let's be real but they're pulling out these results when it matters and I think they're they're punching up given what's happened within the squad, given what they've had to manage within the squad. So yep. I think re- massive respect to the team that they're they're getting these results and they're kind of moving themselves away from any kind of relegation chat. Yeah, I mean they're so it's currently ninth. They're on fourteen points, uh, three points clear of West Ham and Brighton, uh, and then eight points clear of Bristol City, who sit bottom of the table on six points. Um, Aurora Garley is Everton's top goal scorer this season, and she's only got three. I mean that is obviously a bit of a yeah. But did you see the goal? Have you seen her goals? It was. She does when she does goals, she does them well. Unreal. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, Caroline Olsen has avoided a serious injury after being taken off on a stretcher at the end of the game with fears that she'd broken her leg. Uh, the club have confirmed that she'll only be out for a short period. So wishing you 
all the best. Brian Sorensen scared everybody post match because he basically said that like he didn't think her quad was attached anymore. Is that what he said? Yeah, and like basically, Tom Gary spoke to him. I think maybe it was a you know they thought it was really bad. It it had been cut. Her leg was cut. I think which was the issue. Um. So yeah, there was initial concerns that it was really quite serious. So that will be massive for them that it's not, and that'll only be a few weeks. Like, and there's the international break now. So hopefully that will get her nice and healed up. But I can imagine that happening and Brian thinking, oh my God, not Crust. another one. There was a sort of comparison made between there being 1,000 people at Walton um, Hall and then you sort of look at the, you know, the 60,000 record attendance at the Emirates. Um, and we kind of discussed this a little bit before. Like, I don't think the two are comparable when you kind of look at, I don't know if anyone's actually been to Walton Hall. I've played there at an, a midweek night game and it it's not the most inspiring place to play. Uh, it's also not particularly that easy to get to. I don't think you kind of get the same fan experience. It's obviously Everton aren't producing the same kind of results and have the same kind of star quality players that Arsenal do. Um, yeah, do you, do you think it's? Do, do you think we should be concerned for Everton just getting a thousand people there? Or do you think actually that's, to be honest, that's just pretty much standard? I think there's a couple of things. I, th- I can understand the comparison to Arsenal because you're showing on the same weekend a record is broken in one place but I don't think it's a fair comparison because that's not a regular thing at Arsenal right we should be looking at other clubs home average attendances and and it is lower compared to other clubs you also have to factor in that they're playing West Ham right the Arsenal Man United game was a blockbuster build as these two teams fighting for Champions League etc and Everton are also in a very different place in their journey like that has taken Arsenal a number of years to get to a point where they're getting those kinds of numbers and they have to invest a huge amount into their marketing and and a huge amount of resources and everything. Everton don't have that. They've been very clear about where they are financially as a club. They can't afford to buy in players, which Mm -hmm. is going to ultimately be one of the main priorities for the club, right? Never mind marketing absolutely every game to their best of their abilities. Like You kind of have to factor that. It's not great it's not brilliant you'd want the numbers to be going up it's you know like you say maybe not the most inspiring ground but it is theirs and it's they, they don't share it with anybody else so at least that's something um but yeah i just think they're in different places you know they are going to be playing at goodison park we don't see some clubs playing at their main stadia west ham like you know there's been manchester city there's not a lot of games at their main stadia um so respect to that they do try and play at goodison Every season. Um, but yeah, I just think they're quite... It's not really fair to make that comparison without the context, I think, around Apple it. and pears. Yeah, but, but equally, you know, we would want that to improve and I'm sure they're working very hard behind the scenes to do that, but there's a lot more going on at Everton that's making that difficult. You have to contextualise things. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking of Goodison Park, Everton did announce two weeks ago that the Merseyside derby uh, next month against Liverpool uh, on the 24th of March uh, will be played at Goodison Park and they always sort of seem to get a pretty decent crowd. So we'll see what the attendance is like then. Uh, Finally, we should have a word on a cracker between Bristol City and Leicester. Leicester walked away with the points 5-2. Quite a comprehensive win. Uh, the fifth goal came from Denny Draper, who is just 16 years old. I am double her age and some. Uh, that was her first professional goal. Uh, we've got a good question in from Layla that's just come in off the back of that goal. Um, which academies do you think are producing the best players in England? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think Arsenal have a great academy. We've seen some good Chelsea youngsters as well. Yeah, I think Michelle for coming through on the Leicester, Arsenal Academy. Leicester, absolutely. And I, I respect, 
Aston Villa. I respect clubs as well that are willing to bring those players up and give them opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, Even when you look at someone like Everton, to be fair, I mean, you had Izzy Christensen, you had Chloe Kelly coming from Everton, Jess Park spent a spell at Everton. Like, despite them being not the most exciting club at the moment, they do produce some super talent. So, yeah, I, 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 there's some... There's some Decent players coming through, and we're going to see a lot of them probably in the under twenty threes yeah. uh, camp in uh, coming up in in February. Which Rachel, you're going to be at? I tell am. Me. Tell me about this. Tell me where you are going off on your jollies in the next. My couple jollies. Of weeks. I'm going to cover five matches, Chloe. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do the two uh, senior lionesses games. We're going to do the under twenty threes games as well, which I'm looking forward to because that is some exciting talent in there, and uh, the Nations League final as well, which I'm looking forward to, and. Part of me is hoping that it is in Spain because if Spain win their semi-final, it will be in Seville, which is just a couple of hours away. If they don't, we'll have to try and get up to the Netherlands. <laughs> so, fingers crossed. I don't feel sorry for you. No, all. I know you don't. Um, one of the people who won't be going on the camp, uh, Leah Williamson, uh, it was obviously announced quite late in the day on uh, Saturday that she's kind of suffered a hamstring injury. Uh, so Millie Turner will now be replacing her in the England squad. Um, Serena sort of made some quite um, sort of quite unusual comments, I suppose, about whether the captaincy would be going back to Leah and it was something that she kind of needed to discuss with the squad. Um, I mean, what do you kind of make of those comments? I didn't think it was that unusual. I felt it was a bit of a non-story I think you know that's something that A Serena's going to want to discuss with Leah first and the team first they're missing both Leah and Millie Bright yep. B Leah was only coming back in um, for the first time in a long time so you don't even know plans wise how many minutes she was even going to get so to make a whole thing about her taking the captain's armband back again seemed a bit pointless when she might have only played about like 10 minutes in each match do you know what I mean so I feel like it wasn't that unusual, but it was kind of made out to be like, oh, Serena Vigman might not be giving Leah Williamson the captain's armband back. And I'm not necessarily sure that that's the case. I think there were fair comments. I think it's difficult because you obviously need a captain who's going to be present in these games. And I think obviously Leah was out of the, the World Cup this summer, um, not going to be there and present in the friendlies. So I think you do have to look at the contingency and what the other options are. You Millie don't, Bright's I, not there. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping obviously this injury with Leah is going to be really short term. It's just a little bit of a niggle mm-hmm. and they just want to play it safe because obviously she's just fresh off the back of the ACL. So hoping that we'll see her sort of, you know, coming back into the England setup, you know, in the next couple of months, you know, heading towards, um, you know, the summer, the whatever they plan on doing without the Olympics this summer um, but yeah I don't think there was a sort of it wasn't alarm bells for me they would no. have had that discussion it makes sense that you know you do have to look at other options when your captain isn't there and also without Leah without Millie it goes to Mary Yeah, maybe they're planning to play Keating for a game so maybe they're like well let's give it to someone who's more likely going to play both games do you know what I mean it feels yeah, like yeah. something they were going to have a discussion with the team with in a, a you know two friendlies that don't you know have any kind of serious connotations we're probably going to see some players getting minutes it didn't really feel like that big a deal yeah and I think Mary being an amazing leader um, I mean she's outspoken she puts in incredible performances in major international competitions she is used to the pressure um, yeah she comes across really well in press conferences gives you a bit of like spark and energy and some funny moments which I love um, and then Lucy Bronze I think will probably be quite a good um, you know Deputy captain or vice captain, I suppose. Um, yeah, against experience, very level-headed. Alex bit. Greenwood, you've Alex got a few Greenwood options as well. There. Yeah, Alex Greenwood is. I mean, she's very like. She's not as calm as Lucy Bronze, I'd say. Lucy Bronze gives me like deadpan kind of. Do you of think? Like, I feel like Lucy Bronze gives me chaotic vibes, and Alex Greenwood is is way more chill. Mm, 
No, I don't. I would. I would probably give it to bronze as well, being karma. I, I, I yeah. Mean, yeah, there are lots of options. Either way, there is a lot of experienced leaders uh, in the England squad, and I don't think it's any cause for concern that Leah's captaincy is up for. Um, it's, it's not that you know, you know, it's not like she's been playing, and you're thinking, okay, well, actually, performances aren't good enough, and therefore we're going to give the captaincy to someone else. She hasn't been there through injury. Like, it's no fault of anyone else's, but let's be real you need a captain that's going to be present. So. And I think if she comes back and she's fine and she plays in the April window and we get to a major tournament, oh, she'll be captain. It's all hers. Uh, so England are back in action against Austria on Friday. We'll be talking about that and much, much more next week. Absolutely fuming that I'm not going to be in Marbella, but we'll be living my life for yourself and Sophie. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram and X. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rachel is at Girls on the Ball and we are at Upfront underscore pod. You can also find us on YouTube at Upfront pod. See you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.